Well, I'm sure that we're all kind of aware of the rising tension between Canada and China of late. Uh, Canada, in compliance with uh, an extradition treaty they have with the United States, arrested Huawei CEO um, in Vancouver. And uh, China would deny, of course, but it sure seems pretty obvious that um, they arrested two Canadians on suspicions of uh, being, being spies and espionage. And many have been calling for the Prime Minister to directly deal with uh, the issue rather than letting uh, junior ministers or um, the ambassador deal with the issue. We know how it went for John McCallum when uh, he stepped into the mix and tried to express some direction. But basically, this line of thought that the Prime Minister should get involved is related to this basic understanding that we have, and that is that the importance of a message is bolstered by the status of the messenger. When a minister in government comes out and makes a declaration, it's not quite the same thing as the prime minister coming out and making a declaration. And so only certain declarations are reserved for, our, for the top dog. And thus far, the writer of Hebrews has been appealing to his readers, us, based on the same grounds. He wrote in Hebrews 1.1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But, Hebrews 1.2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so because you have prophets delivering one message, and God himself, the son, presenting another message, it qualifies, doesn't, doesn't it, the message that's being delivered. If God himself took on flesh to bring a message then that message must be more important than the message delivered through prophets. <clears throat> the message that Christ brought, the Son, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews 2 these words. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. 
Because Christ was the messenger, we have to appreciate the supremacy of the message, the gospel. In a few sentences, the author lays out a very convincing argument about the supremacy of that message. He says, pay most careful attention. I don't know how you can be more emphatic than that. Most careful attention. Don't just pay attention. Don't just pay careful attention, but pay most careful attention to the gospel. Now in those three verses or four verses that we take a look at, the supremacy or the superiority of Christ's messages is emphasized in a number of ways. Just go through them very quickly. The first one is that in the first instance, and we don't really have this recorded in Exodus where Moses receives the law, but there are several instances in the New Testament that speak about the role of angels in somehow being a go-between between God and Moses in the giving of the law. And so, in that case, they played a very primary role in the giving of the law. But in the gospel, as we took a look at last week, angels play a more subservient, behind-the-scenes kind of role, which speaks to the superiority of the difference between the superiority of the message of the gospel compared to the law. So the angels play a subservient role in the age of the gospel. He also writes in those four verses at the beginning of Hebrews 2, that the law, which was the angel's message, was powerful. And so in this case, he's saying, if you, you, know, if you think that's impressive, how much more impressive is the gospel? So if you think, you know, giving of the law and, and the power that it had, everything was detailed, Everything had its consequences, and those consequences were enforced. It was forceful. It was powerful. If you think that was powerful, how much more is the message brought to you by Jesus Christ? Thirdly, the gospel was personally delivered by Jesus Christ, by God himself. The gospel was confirmed by eyewitnesses. And so the writer of Hebrews was not an apostle like James and John and Peter and those guys. But they had relationships with those first level encounters, those eyewitnesses. And the gospel was proven, was confirmed through them. The gospel was also proven through signs and wonders and miracles. And then the gospel was proven by the Holy Spirit's work in each believer. The power of the Holy Spirit in each believer is a testament to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> So if you experience the Spirit in you, 
it lends credence to the gospel and its truth. And so, this superior message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, superior to the message of the old covenant, is superior because of a variety of reasons, but largely and most importantly because it was delivered in person by Jesus Christ. It was enacted, it was realized through Jesus Christ. In our study of the different covenants, we we talked about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And we referenced Hebrews 8.6, which I'll just remind you of. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant which is he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. And we, we looked at the better promises. This unequivocal pardon that we've received. This entirely new status before God. This power to be actually transformed from the inside out. The promise of a certain and eternal future. All of these promises are superior to the promises of the law, which was largely an act in frustration to teach people that there had to be something better. And so there was a yearning in people's hearts for that new covenant, which would be a superior covenant, the gospel. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we don't drift away. Having this incredible message, this superior message delivered through Jesus Christ himself, God himself, warrants our full undivided attention. It calls us to utmost devotion. In my experience in ministry, I have found that Satan's means of trying to destroy people's faith is not a frontal attack. but rather an insidious and gradual means of slowly distracting people. Distracting them with other priorities. And so Satan doesn't come up and club people over the head to get them to forsake their faith. What he does is he lays out all kinds of tempting options that kind of give Satan a foothold and gradually can lead to drift. Drifting away from our faith. When... uh, when our kids were, were young, one of their favorite things was to come to Prince Edward Island. 
um, and to go into the ocean. Great Lakes pale in comparison to the ocean. But the thing about the ocean is you get these waves, like real waves, right? Good waves. Though they tell me these aren't the real waves. The real waves are in Warrenstown, they tell me. Anyways, but they would love to do that. And of course, when you're a parent, you're, you're a little nervous about the waves, and you, you see these signs about rip currents, and you see, you know, you know about currents and stuff. But And you're always telling your kids, okay, I want you to stay right out in front of me. All right? Play. Go crazy. Have fun. But you just stay right up there. And, and wouldn't you know it? Where did they end up? Way down the shore, right? Now, why is that? Is that because they made a decision? You know, on their, you know, I can see Owen. Owen would be the one. He'd put his arm around Mitch and say, let's disobey our parents. Let's go down the shore. No, they're good boys. They wouldn't do that. But they lost their attention because they were having so much fun out in the ocean, right? They ended up drifting away down the shore. You know, it wasn't an intentional thing. It wasn't sort of like, yeah, you know, I'm sick of God. You know? It's like, oh, I'm feeling kind of blue. Maybe I could do something to relieve this blueness in me. I'll just take a little of this or that. And it's just sort of this gradual drifting away that can occur. This is what you hear when you do marriage counseling. You hear words like this. How did we end up in this place? It's not like, you know, the couple intentionally, you know, just made a decision. I want to get a divorce. Quite often, it's just a gradual getting caught up in different lives, whatever that might be, so that they end up developing different lives. And in many cases, it's not even like that they're upset with each other as a couple as much as they're more interested in their other lives. It's a gradual drifting away. And as I talk to the kids... That looks like my perennial garden right there, Ken. <laughs> Amazing garden, but man, I didn't know you had to care for a perennial garden. Somebody told me they took care of themselves. You know, they come up, they die, and then something else pops up and dies, but it's not quite like that. But this is how Satan works. And this is how it can be if we lose attention, if we do not give most careful attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that that is why in a Christian church or a Church of Christ church, um, I think it's good, and in other churches too, that we remember the Lord. Because as we do each Sunday participate in communion, we are remembering the gospel. Um, you know, you can get caught up with series on this or that, and your focus as a church can go this way and that way, but this draws you back every time to the gospel. And so it's important that we do not lose attention. 
but that we give the most careful attention to the gospel. I believe that the antidote to spiritual distraction is, is twofold. And the, the first one is this. It's expressed really by David in Psalm 27.4. He writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, this one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Nurturing relationship, nurturing the love relationship we have with Christ is an antidote to spiritual distraction and losing our attention and not giving our attention to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. One thing I ask, <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, but I need simple things. I need one thing. <laughs> Right? Just tell me one thing that I need to do. And that's one thing. And that is to nurture our relationship with the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze. You know, that word gaze is an interesting word, isn't it? It's not like to, to look at. It's to gaze. It's like a steady looking at. It's not a glance. It's a gaze over time. Giving most careful attention to the gospel. So that's the one side. I think that that, that helps us in, in not becoming distracted. Resisting Satan, who, as we've said, is, is, is bent on <clears throat> moving us down the shore. The, the second is this, and, and you remember when, when Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha, and Martha was quite caught up with making sure that Jesus had a, a lovely visit, was concerned about food and, and you know appearances and how things were at the house and that, and, and Mary rather just sat down at the feet of Jesus and, and just sort of gazed at Jesus and took in what Jesus was presenting. And, and look what Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but there it is again, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken <clears throat> away from her. We need to identify and restrict the things that are distractions to our most careful attention. For Martha, it was a good thing, and so many of these distractions are good things. Whether they're relationships, or, you know, recreation, or doing things that anybody would say are virtuous and good, but they can still take us away. And, and, and Martha's getting chided here by Jesus. You know? 
A guy like me, I hated this passage. Because I was, I was the Martha. I was always the Martha growing up. I mean, I worked my butt off for Jesus. <laughs> you know, I was, I was doing the right thing. You know? But Mary took the time. And more than that, I'm sure she was aware as much as Martha was of the stuff that needed to be done. But she made a conscious decision to sit at Jesus' feet. We can easily see Martha as this hung up, you know, perfectionist, and Mary being oblivious. I don't like to think of Mary that way. <laughs> I like to think of Mary being very, very aware of all the work that needed to be done, but understanding that listening to Jesus trumped it all. It's not a personality difference, in other words. It's a difference of focus and attention. And so, as we need antidotes to this distraction so that we don't lose that attention that we need to be giving to Christ and to the gospel, this good message, this superior message, we, we need to invest fully into our relationship to gaze on Christ. And we also have to identify and resist the things that will drift us away or take us away and cause us to drift. Let me close with a passage from Revelation 2. John is writing his revelation, his prophecy that God is giving to him about the end times. And he starts off pretty well, pretty close to the beginning of the book. Or the revelation is our words to some of the churches, the Christian churches. And I find this one particularly challenging. These are God's words to the angel of the church in Ephesus. He says to John Wright, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in, the, in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Perfect. <laughs> what, whatever in the world could God have against this church? I mean, they're sacrificial in their relationship with God. Sacrificial. They're fighting the good fight. They're persevering. They're standing up to wickedness. They're enduring hardship. They're not growing weary. But then it continues, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. <laughs> repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand 
with its place. For you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, I guess, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You see, here's these really dutiful, hard-working Christians in this church who are missing the point. They are allowing themselves to be distracted by doing the right thing, but not sitting at the feet of Jesus and gazing at him. It's insidious, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard being a Christian. You think you're doing the right thing, and then you find out that it's more about your relationship with Jesus than it is about doing good things. You know, we have an incredible salvation. It has been proven credible. <laughs> Delivered by God himself. There were eyewitnesses. There's been proofs of miracles and wonders and all sorts of things like that. It's proven because we experience the Holy Spirit. We know that it is a superior message. It is the truth. How in the world will we escape if we ignore it? It requires our utmost attention, lest we drift away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Your ways are perfect. That's because you are. But we are imperfect. We are prone to wander, as the song says. We are prone to drift away, to get caught up with bright, shiny things. And even though, as Paul says, I want to do what God wants me to do, I find that I don't do it and end up doing other things which I know are counterproductive. Lord, help us to share the passion of David to have one thing that we seek, to gaze upon you. And yet, to be diligent, to, to guard against those things that we know are the triggers that draw us away. Holy Spirit, be active in our lives, helping us to resist. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.